Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. gentlemen welcome back to the core four podcast a podcast on the grizzly bear blues podcast network alongside gpb live the three and d podcast and the starting five podcast make sure you are liking subscribing downloading whatever you need to do for the grizzly bear blues podcast network on spotify apple Podcasts, google podcast stitcher megaphone iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast and grizzly bear blues is a blog under sb nation you can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and my co-host, Nathan Chester, is not with me tonight, but it's absolutely okay because we got Brendan Smith from the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brendan, how's it going? I'm pretty good, man. I'm not feeling too hot after that game we just saw, but um, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, but I mean... You know, I invited Brendan on the show. We we actually used to write together at my last stop over at Bill Street Bears. Uh, he had uh, we had started a podcast over there. I, I remember it was called uh, "Taking Care of Grizzness" or "Grizz" or "Grizzness as Usual." I don't know. It was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. A it was a Grizzness pun, but Brendan he does great work covering the Wizards and uh, tweeting about all his other favorite teams, such as the New York Giants, the Washington Capitals, and the Washington Nationals. And, you know, I never I haven't done like a, a game reaction podcast before, so I wanted to see how this went. And also too, like the Wizards are in a particular spot because I think it's very similar to that to the situation that the Grizzlies were in a few years ago with Mark Gasol and Mike Conley. But we'll get into that later. But first, I just want to get into the game. And uh, Brendan, what were some of your observations from that game? You know, you, you only get to see the Grizzlies twice a year. What did you see from them? And then. Why, why did the Wizards not win this game? Yeah, um, first, I mean, instant reaction. Scott Brooks, bad as usual. Uh, Westbrook, good. Then Westbrook, bad. Um, Beal really wasn't himself tonight. And I thought uh, not playing Garrison Matthews and Mo Wagner as much in the second half was odd. I get the matchup at center with um, – with Valanchunas and trying to play Lopez a little bit more. I get that. I think that Lopez, for the most part, probably won that matchup. 
Um, but I thought it was really odd. You keep your second best shooter out of the game for the most part in the second half. And um, I mean, on defense, we just couldn't close anyone out. We couldn't get the shooters. Everyone drove right by us and was able to get to the rim. And then when they finally collapsed and overhelped, then it left guys open for three. So, I mean, it, it's simple stuff, but it's always been under Brooks and it's just never been corrected. Right. Yeah. I was actually texting one of my fraternity brothers who he's, he's in like the BMV area. He's a big Wizards fan. I don't know if it's like this all the time, but to me, it just seems like the, when it's the starting five out there, it's just way too much Westbrook. And when the bench unit is in, it's just way too much Bertons. Like, I don't know what it is, but it felt like every time I looked up and I was watching a, a Wizards play, one of those two guys were shooting the basketball. They had the ball in their hands for the majority of the possession. And I don't know, like y'all, I actually had um, Washington as a, as a Island team. I have a podcast called Hoops Island with 92.9's Connor Dunning. And we both really liked what Washington had going into this season. And I don't know. I just feel like they're not really utilizing that talent as well as they could. Um, the entire offseason, I think overall, um, I think everything considered, I mean, you try to be fair when grading moves at the time and then grading moves in hindsight. And I still think the offseason right now, I'm still giving a D. Um, and the only reason I'm giving them a D was because they took the best player overall at nine and they took Denny Avdia, which I was ecstatic when they took him. But um, they're making him really useless now. Pretty much they want every wing to be Trevor Reza. They want you to play great defense and they want you to stay in there and catch and shoot. And, and Denny is much more than that. Um, same thing with Rui, too. And it's hard for both those guys to get into a rhythm because they're not shooters. They need to be able to have the ball and sort of do their own things. But um, giving Robin Lopez the MLE was not ideal than using your biannual exception on a guy named Anthony Gill when you could have used it on a quality veteran to help your perimeter defense was also odd. I mean, the only really good signing was Howell Neto when you consider um, money and value. And I mean, he's been a bright spot for sure. But um, going back to Westbrook and Bertans here, I, I agree with the Westbrook part. Um, he needs to take a complete backseat. He can be effective without shooting the ball. I've said that on a consistent basis. Um, Bertans actually, for the most part, we want him to get the ball more. We don't think he's been getting the ball enough. Um, and we say the same for Denny, Rui, and Garrison Matthews. So um, we would actually like to see more, well, less Russ, and then more of those guys getting in more on the action because it's just he has some good games, and Russ's pace has won us some games this year, and I'll give him credit. But for the most part, he just hasn't been a net positive for this team. He's He's been not bad, but – somewhere close to bad i think kinda, is safe he's probably the best mediocre basketball player in the league because it's so wishy-washy there's some nights where you know he's russ like he's the russ that we've known all his career and then there's some nights where it's just kind of like i mean i'd even say in certain stretches tonight mainly in that second half he was just kind of like a shell of himself just kind of going all over yeah. the place and forcing shots but you know i i was really high on uh denny advia Coming into the uh, coming into year, I think I had him about three on our big board that we did. Same, same. Uh, he was, you know, he's a big six nine guy. Can put the ball on the floor, make plays. Has a little edge to him. Has some swagger to him. And wow. I bought I bought his jumper, even though the percentages weren't good. His mechanics were too good. To where same. Like, I'm like, okay, if he's playing off Russ and Beal, then he should be fine. But I kind of agree with your point. They're making guys like Rui and Denny stationary players to where they're just kind of waiting for corner threes and what they can get. I'm really 
confused as to what are they doing with Troy Brown? He had a really good bubble. Like he could have been a useful bench player, kind of like a, a makeshift point guard, I guess, who could also play alongside Beal or Russ. But what what's the deal with Troy Brown after his strong bubble performance? I think the the thing with um, Troy Brown is he kind of plays a similar role like Denny, like he needs the ball. He's not a guy who's just going to stand around and shoot, even though his jump shot, I will say has improved since he's been in the league and he's certainly confident while he's out there. But um, I think what kind of messes with his minutes there is when they stagger Russ and Russ kind of comes in and um, he takes control of the second unit. It's hard to put a guy like Troy Brown out there when you can put Bonga out there, when you can put um, Bertans out there, guys who can shoot the ball better. Um, and, and I mean, they were even playing Jerome Robinson at one point, but when Jerome Robinson's three-point shot started falling down, then they took him out. So it's like, are you going to play? Are you going to play the 15th pick? Or are you going to play the ninth pick and Denny Obvious? So that's kind of um, where it comes in there. And then I didn't really uh, answer this before, so I'll go ahead and answer it about the Grizzlies. I, th- I thought they played a hell of a game. Um, I was very surprised to hear Ja Morant's three-point percentage when um, – Justin Kutcher had mentioned it earlier in the Wizards broadcast. I was extremely surprised at that, um, but it seemed like you guys got some fine players. You know, Dylan Brooks had a good game. I thought um, DeAnthony Melton had a solid game. Um, Balachunas is a, a steady. He's maddening sometimes with how slow he is, but overall, I mean, he's a steady player. Brandon Clark had himself a good game. Um, I was impressed with the Grizzlies tonight. They played really well, and um, they didn't let up. Right. Yeah, no, I was very – pleased with the Grizzlies performance tonight and you know it's crazy that the Grizzlies are built on great grind and there's a stat that the PR account put out there where they're leading the league in steals at 10 per game and it's their second consecutive game of 15 or more steals so like you're seeing a blend of like grit and grind but you don't really see it because it's masqueraded by this free-flowing offense and this transition offense and a bunch of young guys that like to go fly up and down the court and get into passing lanes. So it's really nice. I, I, I've really enjoyed what they've done in this rebuild thus far. Um, Obviously I I really apologize that you had to catch D'Anthony Melton on a career three point shooting night, the six threes, but uh, John Morant was just unbelievable tonight. And I know the last time they played Washington, he put up his first career triple double, just, I know you you only get to really see the Grizzlies play whenever they're on national TV or when they're playing the Wizards. But just from that those times where you've gotten to watch John Moran, just what do you think of his game and like who do you see in his game? Oh, I think that's tough because I think for the position that he plays and just the type of player that he is, it's it's hard to really compare. I mean, there are times where I think he does look kind of Westbrook Rosish in terms of his athleticism and the way he's crafty around the rim and is um, able to get layups off. But um, I mean, he can do it all scoring the ball. And then, um, you know, he's got great instincts passing. I mean, he was, he was, I thought the number one player coming out of that draft that you're not Zion Williamson. I thought John Morant was the best player. Um, and it's a good thing that the Grizzlies were able to get him at too, because I think you guys are set there. And um, I mean, along with Jaron Jackson and now even justice Winslow, who I know you guys just got back, but he looks like he can contribute. Um, I mean, you got Dylan Brooks. I still think you guys are another big piece away from really being taken seriously, especially out in the West. But um, overall, I think you guys have a really solid foundation. The one thing I – and we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I was 
the Taylor Jenkins hire kind of came out of nowhere. So was there like a connection there or how did that come about? That's a really good question because honestly, it kind of came out of uh, left field for us too, because I didn't know who they were going to hide. They kept that really in the dark for about two or three months, but he, I mean, he came from the, the Budenholzer coaching tree in both Atlanta and Milwaukee. And then he'd also been an intern and, uh, Popovich's system I think he was like a film intern then when he was in college but I mean he he's been unbelievable actually another uh, thing I remember about him before the hire was he was the coach that did the big de- uh, defensive stance with the Milwaukee team in the playoffs you know when there was that fight and that co- coach stormed over to the sideline and tried to prevent his guys from coming off the bench that was oh, oh. okay yeah. but no I've been very pleased with coach Jenkins and I think the thing that I've been extremely pleased with just how seamlessly he's been able to integrate a modern system into this Grizzlies team when we've had David Fizdale try to do it, Dave Yeager try to do it. Granted, they did it with a little more tough love and with veterans that had won a certain way. But with Jenkins, he got in that clean slate. I just really like how he maximizes his players and puts them in the best position possible to succeed. I mean, John Moran is probably a, a really good example but even a guy like DeAnthony Melton, who has thrived as this combo guard, do-it-all player off the bench. Grayson Allen went from a guy that people really talked more about his college antics in this game, but every Grizzlies fan has forgot all about it, and he's now like a 40% three-point shooter. And then you've seen like guys like Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark step in immediately and contribute. Desmond Bain also. I mean, I think another one that's kind of slept on is Jonas Valanciunas is putting up career numbers this year in a system that's supposed to not fit him as a old school big man in a modern NBA system. He's averaging like 16 and 11, and those are both around his career highs. It's just, I didn't expect Jenkins to be this good, to be honest. I thought he would have been pretty, I thought he was like, okay, he'll be pretty good, but you could just tell that he gets everything out of his guys and, I don't know. He's just kind of the, the modern coach where, you know, he holds his team, uh, his players accountable. He empowers them in a free-flowing system. And he, he's one of the smartest basketball people I know. And every time I talk to him in post-game stuff or pre-game stuff, he's very drawn out with, you know, the X's and O's schematics of what he's trying to do. And he, he's just one of the smartest basketball people I think I've encountered. So he's been a fun hire. And I guess I'll ask this to you because I've seen all over your timeline, the, uh, the fire Scott Brooks train is who would be your ideal coaching replacement for Scott Brooks? Because we're in a day and age now where like everybody knows who most of the prominent assistant coaches are. So who would you like to see replace Scott Brooks down the line? I think the one that me and Damo have constantly talked about on our podcast is Wes Unseld Jr. Um, he used question, to be right? with – yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about his dad. I mean, best player in franchise history. I, unfortunately, I mean, never got to watch him. I've never seen any of the old games. So, um, But I know what he means to the city of D.C. And then um, Jr. was with us for a little bit coaching-wise. And then – Um, bounced around, I think, to the Warriors and maybe another team. Maybe it was Phoenix. I can't remember. Um, But now he's the associate with Denver on uh, Malone's staff, and he's getting to that point now where 
I think he's going to be ready. And I think this job just makes too much sense with the uh, connections and he's done his time as an assistant. I just think it's, it's time for him to take that next step. And I think it would be a perfect situation. Now, the, the thing I, I don't know that our job is going to be that attractive. I got to be honest. Um, you have a, a point guard like Russ who still has two years left on his deal. Um, you have a bunch of young players on your roster who may never seriously be contributors and part of a rotation on a championship caliber team. So it's, it's the frustrating thing for Wizards fans because we're kind of in that NBA purgatory range. And that is something that we said the Wizards had to, they had to pick a lane over the summer and, and they said they wanted to compete, but then they didn't make a trade for anyone else to help bolster their bench or anything. And then they signed Robin Lopez to the MLE. So overall it was, it, it, it's, we're in a very confusing spot. And um, I mean, I, we're going to be mediocre for the next three to five years, unless they try to figure out a way to get off of Russ's contract. I feel that. And, you know, I want to circle back to a point that you had made and kind of just like, the conversation I want to have to wrap up this show is Bradley Beal. And, you know, I respect the absolute hell out of Bradley Beal and how, you know, he's been loyal to trying to win in Washington. And I I think the reason why people have these conversations is because, you know, the Wizards, like you'd said, they're mediocre. But two, sometimes he doesn't do himself favors with his body language or anything cryptic or anything. Sure. As much as he can say, oh, I want to stay in Washington, I want to win here, I want to build a winner here, he doesn't do himself favors a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, to Washington's credit, too, they're very adamant about not training him, and I, that's the right thing to do. He's a 26-year-old superstar, and when you have a guy like Bradley Beal, you don't just trade him away unless he says, I'm ready to get out of here. But in – uh, ESPN's Bobby Marks, the, the front office insider for ESPN, he did a big trade primer saying all 30 teams, kind of like what he's – I don't know a lot of like what he's heard, but like a what could happen. And there were only three teams that he mentioned Bradley Beal with. One was Denver because they were talking about how untouchable Michael Porter Jr. really is. You had uh, Golden State where they were really talking about that Minnesota pick. And then it was Memphis. And it was just one of those like, oh, the Grizzlies, they may not make a move at the trade deadline, but they might see if they can wait for something like Bradley Beal to come up this summer. So I thought it was interesting. And so I'm going to present this to you because I think the general consensus of what a Beal trade would look like within Grizz Twitter, and I, some of our most unbiased people, they would say like Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas, maybe like a Melton or Grayson Allen plus three first round picks, two of those being the Warriors 2024 pick when Steph's 36 and the 2022 jazz pick. And then one of Memphis's own unprotected. What do you think of a package like that? Is that actually enough in your opinion or no? No, I, I think honestly, and the Grizzlies are no position to do this. I'm just saying it, um, being a Wizards fan, but the only way you're getting Bradley Beal is if you give us John Morant with, with what you guys currently have on your roster. Um, there's just no other way around it. Um, you could even say Jaron Jackson, for example, like you could add that on as well as another piece. But even at that point, I would just take Thomas Bryant. Um, I'm a very big Thomas Bryant guy. Um, and again, if Valanciunas, he's still on contract for next year as well, right? He has two years remaining. Expiring. Yeah, he's going to be expiring next season. 
Yeah, but even then, I mean, all those guys, I mean, and I like Dylan Brooks. He's a fine player, but none of those guys are ever going to get to the level that Bradley Beal is at right now. I'm not trying to be biased or anything when I say that. It's just my honest evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, the only way you're getting Bradley Beal is if you give us John Morant. And I would also add that if the Warriors wanted to send us that Minnesota pick and James Wiseman, there is no other deal in the NBA that would top that. Not even – See, my favorite Beal trade is just, like, I think it's something like Jamal Murray and two firsts for Bradley Beal. I think that's my favorite because everybody talks about Michael Porter Jr. for Beal, but I think the real trade is Murray for Beal because then you still have that big 6'10 wing alongside Bradley Beal and Jokic. I think that's the trade. But that's very that's very interesting to say that, you know, because there's always those mixed reviews on James Wiseman. I think he's valuable. I know basically everybody who will listen to this podcast being from Memphis will agree as well. And that that Minnesota pick is just a gold mine because if they don't convey it this year, it's unprotected in 2022. And I don't see any possible way that Minnesota, especially in the Western Conference, leaps up to even give that pick, you know, 11 to 14 range. I think it's going to stay a top 10 pick regardless so I, I see what you're saying with that. I would – that's – I'm really worried, in my opinion, about a Bradley Beal trade because, I mean, I think it can take a Jaron Jackson Jr. and two or three first. I wouldn't do it. But I think it could do – I think if you were to throw out a package with, like, those players I had mentioned, JV, Clark, Brooks, depending on how much leverage Washington really has – I think it's going to take three first and two or three pick swaps. We saw what happened with like, Drew Holiday got three first and two pick swaps. And I think Beal's better than Drew Holiday. Yeah, so for sure. that's my thing. It's just at this point for the Grizzlies is, do you want to sacrifice that depth and that draft capital that you built up? Granted, for Bradley Beal, you do so. But you got to be damn sure that you're going to do something and like actually win something. Yeah. Um- just recircling back here to the Denver uh, deal real quick. Actually, uh, amongst Wizards Twitter, we wouldn't even do a deal for Jamal Murray. We would want Michael Porter. So the, the ideal trade for us would be Michael Porter, Gary Harris, um, RJ Hampton, and two first-round picks. Yeah. So we, th- we would be content with that deal. Man, I love some RJ Hampton. I had him like six on my board. I think he'd, I think him, if they can just find a way to get him or Bobo, even Bobo, just like – Get him out of Denver because at this point he would just become a meme if he just stays in Denver. I don't yeah. think there's anything that he really adds to Denver. But, you know, I really just wanted to get your perspective because, you know, Grizzly fans, they like getting – and specifically my cousin, he likes saying Beal to Beal because yeah. Beal's great. Yeah. So, you know, that that's very – that's a topic that people talk about on Grizzly's Twitter is basically what would you give up for Bradley Beal or Zach Levine, which I'm always like – well, I would give up this, but to be real, they're not going anywhere unless they say so. Yeah. And also, Beal being semi from the area, he he's from St. Louis. So, I mean, it's just something that's thrown out there, so I wanted to get your your thoughts on it. But, uh, Brendan, just before the show, do you want to give any final remarks on, on the game tonight or on the Grizzlies, on the Wizards, or just anything you want to say? Um, no, I think uh, everything about – is covered the, the, the only thing I would say again going back to a potential Beal trade here is 
number one, you have to have a competent owner and a competent GM in order to facilitate a trade. And they're pretty much just going to be stubborn with him no matter what throughout this process. So literally, unless Beal says that he wants out, it doesn't matter if the Wizards go 2-80 and 80 next year with Beal on the roster. They're going to continue to super max him or max him or whatever. So it's going to be up to Beal. And if Beal hasn't requested a trade by this point, I don't know when he ever will. That's fair. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously we know about how that Wizards ownership can be facilitating a trade. We had the whole Brooks and Oubre fiasco back in 2018. If you yeah. with the, the Ron Brooks – but uh, Brendan, I want to thank you for coming on our show. Just uh, let the people know where they can find you and your podcast. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Threesus Trice. It's a T-H-R-E-E-Z-U-S-T-R-I-S-T. And then uh, me and Damo have a Wizards podcast. It's it's not as structured. It's just, um, well, we kind of start off with a structure in mind, and then we just kind of go off on a bunch of tangents. We're just guys that really just love talking hoop, and we usually go for actually about over an hour. So um, I understand it's a long pod, but we enjoy doing it. And I get DMs all the time saying how much uh, people just love the um, authenticity of the show and all that. Uh, but you can find us at Wizards of Gallery Place. That's the name of our pod. Yep, and that's one of the best, most creative podcast names I've seen in a while. So yeah. I really appreciate that. But thank you, Brendan, for coming on the show. Everyone, you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on the Good to Bear Blues Podcast Network, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you can get your podcast. And make sure you're reading the blog at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word four. With that, that's all folks. 